Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 604 for Monday. Yes, it's a Monday. May 9th, 2016. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, the show that's like car talk for Apple geeks. You send in your questions, we answer them. You send in tips and cool stuff found, and yes, we've got cool stuff found for you today, folks. We've also got two sponsors for you today, FreshBooks at freshbooks.com slash MGG, where you can get 30 days of FreshBooks for free. Start invoicing your customers right now. We'll talk about that shortly, as well as Gazelle at gazelle.com, where you can, uh, yeah, we've got two sponsors that are all about getting you money, because FreshBooks will let you invoice, and Gazelle will let you turn your pile of... uh, of iPhones into a pile of cash. So we'll talk more about all of that shortly here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Trifle, Connecticut, where the plants are doing their thing and both Dave and I are feeling it. Yeah. This is John F. Braun. I was just out on my uh, deck right before the, the show here. And I noticed, um, I was on the same deck this morning and, there's more like green on the trees and like things have gone poof just in the matter of hours that, uh, that I've been in the office today. So it's pretty crazy. It's funny because when I've been out and about, it almost looks sometimes like it's snowing, whether it's little mm. whatever's from the trees or like petals or stuff like that. And Dave, actually, uh, I, I'm going to stop fixating on the thing I was fixating on before okay. because I figured out what it is. Oh, good. You had something that was was like reading and writing gobs of data on your Mac. Well, what was I'm it? I'm almost certain I know what it is. Okay. And, and I got to thank Das Blinkenlight. Okay. So here's what I was seeing, everybody. So on my Mac Mini, I'm using iStat menus. You could also see this, of course, in Activity Monitor. But I see a constant reading and writing of about 29... Oh, 30 megabytes a second. That That's a lot of data. Yeah, man. And I'm like, what's going on, man? And I look and I stat menus, I click on it and it, and it should show. Uh, well, it shows the top, you know, four apps and, and they're reading right and then nothing's showing up there. Then all of a sudden I look to the side and I see an external drive that I have plugged into my machine. Yeah. Which I have set to encrypt. Ah, yes. And the light is blinking on it. And apparently that, because it's a, it's like a kernel task and stuff, I guess it, I guess it doesn't show up as an explicit process in iStat menus because it's kind of the OS or, uh, disk services or core, whatever. Yeah. It's actually kind of weird that it's not showing up. I, I would think it would show up, but, but apparently it's a, so the thing is if you encrypt an external drive, it doesn't encrypt it in one fell swoop. Well, neither does file vault. Right. And I think it uses a similar methodology, but it has to do the work. And the thing is it, it won't have, this is a one terabyte drive, so it's not going to happen overnight. No, it's not. But That's then, right. As I saw well, the blue light pulsing on this uh, drive, it all of a sudden was clear to me why it was happening. Cause it, you know, I looked at my MacBook, and my MacBook is, you know, running, I mean, almost nothing is reading or writing to the disc. I mean, every now and then I'll see a little blip. So that's what's happening. So that's I'm sure if I eject it, well, the thing is the drive is ejected, but it's still doing the encryption operation sure. in the background. Sure. 
So that answers that. Boy, that was bugging me. All right, man. And I nice. promise not to fixate on it. And now I don't have to because I'm almost certain that's what it is. So. Oh, yeah. No, that makes sense. Hey, so you noticed that with iStat menus, but we have two different things in our list of cool stuff found uh, that are basically alternatives to iStat menus. The first is one uh, that would be familiar to people that had been using these types of things for a long time. Alex sent in both of them. The first being menu meters. Yes, menu meters has been around what? for a while, but someone uh, ported it and made it work in El Capitan. So uh, you can just, you know, you can use it. The old menu meters that we used really? and loved. Yep. So there's a link for that in the show notes. Because did I... I mean, they pretty much abandoned development at some point. I, I think so. Yeah, that's what it seems like. Yeah. Okay, so somebody, somebody, so I guess it was open source or somebody got the source and resurrected it. Wow, yep. because that was the predecessor to iStat. And I would say it was- It was the, it was the beginning. As, yeah. Yeah. I, I would say iStat menus is, is a bit more full-featured. Of course, they've had years to work on it. But sure. yeah, menu meters was one of the, the first yep. that gave you a way to- to see what's up and even even for a while when they both were in active development i preferred menu meters because it used less cpu than iStat menus now of course our cpus have gotten so fast that uh i I don't care but back then i did um so uh there's that one and then there's another one called menu bar stats from scenes s-e-e-n-s-e and uh and this one is in active development uh, you can download a, tr- a free trial from them uh, or, and, and then you can buy it from them or buy it from the Mac app store. I think it's like four ninety nine or something, but it, it's, you know, similar. You've got menu bar stats, but this one has tear off modules. So you can have things kind of floating on the screen if you want that uh, in a windowed mode. So this one might actually become like the new, you know, the new granddaddy there. So I got to check this one out. This one is on my list now. So it's pretty cool. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's how we do it. Um, last night I was actually, somebody replied to me on Twitter and it sounded, it seemed interesting. Whatever, whatever this person said, uh, seemed interesting. And it was a guy named Jeff Perrin and we've tweeted back and forth before. And I looked and he develops iOS apps, but he also develops Apple TV apps and he found one. Uh, or he, I found one in his tweet stream called home theater speaker check. And we'll, uh, we'll put this of course in, in the show notes too. It's a free app and you can buy, um, you can buy modules for it, which I actually bought one of the modules for 99 cents. I bought a subwoofer check because the initial check of all my speakers, it's pretty cool. It it like did the whole 5.1 thing and it lit up each speaker except my subwoofer in the living room. Uh, there was no sound coming out of it. So I'm like, well, let me buy the subwoofer test module. It's 99 cents, no problem. And uh, sure enough, I realized, wow, my subwoofer's not on. I looked, the switch is on, no light, which tells me that th- there's a fuse inside and it blew once about five or six years ago. And so I'm sure it just blew again, but a uh, pretty handy little app to test all your speakers and and do it in kind of a fun way. And you can do the the generic kind of the basic test, which will tell you really what you need to know, um, at least to get started for uh for free so that's home theater speaker check it's pretty cool stuff john yeah Yeah. i got that from you now um i'll I'll try it to fine tune my setting actually i don't know you can't right well this one you can't because this is for the apple tv 4 oh but he does it looks like there's an iphone version of this that you could use to do it over airplay so actually i think it would work fine with your apple tv 
You just can't yeah. run the app natively, but you can run it on your phone and then it's, and it's all, it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I downloaded it. I haven't tried it out yet because yeah. so my receiver actually has a very rudimentary, I guess, tuning in, in that. So I have four speakers. I don't have a full surround setup. Okay. But when right. I set up my receiver, it's like, okay, how many feet away from where you're going to be sitting? Right. Is front speaker left front speaker or, or as many speakers as you have. Well, that's cool. And I think that's, um, yeah, that's a feature that I think most decent receivers, there's a Sony, uh, decent receivers will have because it, you know, surround to get it right. You want to make sure that the volume on all the speakers is, right. is appropriate to how far away that otherwise it's going to sound weird. Yeah, so, exactly. Okay, cool. Exactly. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, Gary sent, actually many of you sent this in this week, uh, reset plug at resetplug.com. It's a $60 device that you plug into the wall and then you plug your router into it. And then you pair this thing with your router over Wi-Fi, And it just makes sure that it can continually get out to the internet. And the moment that it can't get out to the internet, it power cycles your router. It, it kills the power for, I don't know, 10 seconds or something, <laughs> and then turns it back on. So if you've got some really old crummy router that you bought uh, that, you know, locks up on you, then uh, this device for $60 can at least reset it so that you don't have to think about it and it'll just take care of it. Now, the articles that, that you folks sent to us about this, we're all sort of taking it in that vein. Like, look, it, you know, if you're going to spend $30 on a crappy router and then you need this $60 thing, maybe it's worth just spending a hundred bucks on a, on like a relatively decent router. And then you don't have to worry about it. But I have another scenario. And if you're like me, and you're constantly like testing different firmware uh, builds on your router and it winds up being your main router in the house, uh, you run into this exact same scenario, even though your router cost 400 bucks instead of say, you know, $4. So, uh, and this would have, this would have saved me uh, over the last couple of weeks, especially as I was going through some, some testing and, and, you know, my family would yell at me about how I would leave for the night and then the router would stop working. And I was like, well, you know, there's a switch on it. Just turn it off, turn it on. And then everybody was fine, but this would be nice to have it, you know, auto, um, power cycle it. So that's a, it's a, it's in, it's ingenious. I'm not sure it's worth 60 bucks to most people, but if you are someone who needs it, you know, I, I could see where last week I would have spent 60 bucks on this. So I, I like it, it cracks me up because it goes back to a form of troubleshooting that I think both you and I despise, Dave. But sometimes you got to do it, and that's what we'll call Toto, which is turn off, turn on, turn off, turn on. That's right, <laughs> absolutely. And it's cheaper than having one of your kids sitting there all day watching your router and uh, you know yelling at them to cycle the power and it's not working. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yep. That is ingenious. I, I, I like it. Again, it makes me sad that something like this is necessary. But. Right. <laughs> yeah, e exactly. Right. But it, the way they thought about it, it's like, oh, yeah, if it, if it can get on the Internet, then clearly the router is working. And if it can't, well, punt. So and, you know, when that would be handy is when I'm traveling and uh, the next time I'm traveling is to Houston. I'm going to be speaking on Saturday, May 21st at the Houston area Apple user group meeting, uh, I believe. Uh, that we, I am going to be refreshing and updating my running your Mac lean, clean and mean session for uh, all of you great folks there. So if anybody's in the Houston area, check out their website, H A A U G dot org. And I will, uh, I'll see you there, uh, you know, and please, I always say this because I wind up every time I speak at some user group, especially when it's one that's not local uh, to me here, I, 
uh, I leave and I get home or I get to my hotel that night or, you know, whatever the plan is. And I get an email from somebody or a tweet from somebody saying, Hey, great job. It was great to see you, you know, um, appreciate what you did. And, and the, these people, a lot of people never come up and just like say hello. And I always say, why? Oh, you should have said hi. It would have been great to meet you. I love meeting listeners. And you know, it's always like, well, I didn't want to bother you. It, it, I'm going to put it out there right now. It's never a bother. If I just finished doing a speech, I'm clearly out there to do exactly this. Please come up and say hi. It's, it's, uh, it actually makes my, it, it's, you know, it's the thing that makes all the travel and the time away from my family and all that totally worthwhile. I really appreciate it. So, yeah. Isn't that Dr. Bob's, uh, hood there? Bob's in Austin. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 He's of course we're speaking three hours away. Yeah. Uh, doctor. He's not a real doctor, but Dr. Bob Levitis. That's right. Yeah. 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 Known and loved throughout the night. Uh, yeah. I love Dr. Bob. Yeah. And, uh, but I know he, he, uh, he speaks at, uh, I think he's part of a, uh, whatever user group in his area. Oh, so, at Catmac uh, in, uh, in Austin. And they're a good group to, to, uh, to speak for they do their meetings in the evening at a brew pub so it works out really there well. there you go yep <laughs> it's good uh okay uh, a couple more things in the cool stuff found list that we can blaze through um let me find zach here in our list because zach recommended to us uh an app called sharpshooter that is a screenshot app for for the mac he says i've used a number of these and sharpshooter is my favorite few of my favorite features being it has a great save dialogue box um, with the folder with the default folder of your choice. He says, I have a screenshots folder in my home folder that sorts to the top of the list on my desktop, uh, a share button. So you can email the screenshot with the least amount of effort and an auto numbering of screenshots. When you're too busy to title the screenshot, it'll put the date in the name kind of like apples, but you can sort of format the name. So uh, sharpshooter is it. We'll put a limb, a, a, um, a limb. I don't know what I was saying. A link. It's a weird kind of, it's like a typo of the tongue. I don't know. Anyway, we'll put a link to that in, uh, in the show notes because. Or a thinko. Yeah. I don't know what that was. Or a speako. It's a speako. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Douglas recommends, uh, where are we? Douglas. I'll find you. He says, uh, at one point, you mentioned keeping everything in folders on your iPhone, and you just search and launch things from Spotlight. It says, I found a great app for launching apps on the iPhone and iPad. It's called Launcher with Notification Center Widget by Cromulent Labs. Uh, you can set it up with your favorite apps, web pages, people you often call or email, and even specific system settings, such as personal hotspot or battery. Then you just swipe down from the top of the iPhone on any screen, even from within an app, and select. So it's launching from the Notification Center I think I've heard of this before. In fact, I know I have, but, uh, but this looks, I've, I've used older versions of launcher. I feel like, but never one. I, I had sort of given up on the concept before they did the whole notification center thing. So I uh, never revisited it. This looks fantastic. So, uh, so I got to check that out. That's, um, uh, uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. I bet a lot of you already know about and use this, but, um, uh, but if you're like me and you sort of gave up on it before it had this functionality, well, now's your time to revisit it. Thank you, Douglas. You rock. And uh, let's see. Jason has, uh, well, Jason has an interesting thing. Uh, let me get, now I get, now I got my hands tied in knots too. Um, we've talked about this on the show before, but it's kind of a handy thing. If you want to, a fun little hack, he says, 
you type the right thing into your phone and it sh- puts it into field test mode so you can see the actual signal strength of your cell signal in decibels. And it puts that up at the top instead of just having bars. And the number to dial is, um, where is it here? Oh, where is it? Eight, six, seven, five. No, no, I know what sorry. it is, Dave. It's star, you, you three, have it. star 3001 pound, one, two, three, four, five pound star and press call. And that puts your phone into field test mode. So I will put the link for that in the show notes too, so that you can find it. It's pretty good, right? And I'm pretty sure the number that you see there, so it's probably in all likelihood going to be a negative number. That would make sense because zero is, is the strongest theoretical signal that you would have. And I think it's actually in DBM. Okay. But but just to let people know, the thing is the... Uh, the larger that number is in that the less negative it is. Yep. I I just want to help people understand what they're seeing. So if you see negative 50 there and then you go somewhere else and you see negative 25, negative 25 is better. Mm, Because it's closer to zero. It's not intuitive. And it's just the way that typically measuring RF and DBM works. So just be careful with this again, because to most of us, the bigger a number, the better, right? Right. But in this case is just remember your negative numbers in that the same thing applies here, but just remember it's a negative number. Sure. So, so the closer it is to zero, the better a signal you get. And, and I think it's, well, it's cool because the dots are kind of for the most part useless, right? Right. Right. And that, well, what does one dot mean? I don't know. This would actually tell you, <laughs> I wish happened, you know, it would be a nice feature if they actually gave you an option to see the, that value instead of the dots, but well, maybe an iOS 10, who knows? What do you think now? Um, too technical for most people. I yeah, think. it's, yeah, it's not, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's good geeky, for us yeah, geeks. Too geeky. Yeah, yeah, but it is good for us geeks. All right, uh, listener James moving us along here says, I recently saw the, 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 the I recently sold the Mac Mini to a friend as his first Mac was aging. Uh, as it as his first Mac was aging after his Windows laptop started showing some drive failure symptoms. Uh, anyway, he says he's been really happy with the system itself, but was struggling to move to photos because his file structure before was based on folders where he just open his images in Photoshop and save them back. After much googling around, we found external editors for iPhotos, which is available in the App Store for ninety nine cents. Very simply, it's a photos extension that, when activated, lets you open photos in your favorite editor. In our case, that's Affinity Photo, but when you save the images back, they update back into photos directly. There are a few caveats, but on the whole, it seems uh, to work well, and it saves all the messing about with exporting, and you can basically pick whatever you would like. So I will put that in the show notes, too, because that's how we roll. Fun stuff, huh, John? If you need to edit your photos, yeah. That's right. <laughs> Some of us don't have this problem. No. We, uh, we, we, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, cool stuff. Um, one last official cool stuff found, and then we have a question that sort of leads to an answer that's a cool stuff found. Patrick uh, reminds us all, he says, first, this is not a T-Mobile ad. He says, but I had a new tower 
Airport Extreme, that no matter what I did, I could not get an external hard drive attached to it to work as a time machine backup for the family. Uh, I want to say that I did everything to keep the time machine up and running on the Airport Extreme, but could not make it happen. My, nest, my nephew suggested that I go to a T-Mobile store and get a new router that would prioritize T-Mobile calls over my home network. For a $25 deposit, I got an Asus TMAC1900 because I'm a T-Mobile customer that will allow an external drive to be attached since installing my network has not gone down once. And I have the three of us backing up to a USB 3 connected hard drive over time machine. Uh, so, yeah, he um, he reminds us that if you are a T-Mobile mobile wireless customer, uh, They'll give you an, 18, an AC 1900, so a dual band, 2.4 gigahertz, 5 gigahertz, 802.11 AC router uh, for free. Uh, you just got to give them a $25 deposit, which you would get back when you return the router to them. So thank you for the reminder, Patrick. It's, it's awesome that they that T-Mobile does that. So it's good stuff. I, you know, and they also have like free texting and data almost worldwide now. It's, it's a good it's a good gig to be a T-Mobile customer. What have I seen with them? They're doing a thing where streaming certain content doesn't count against your, uh, right? Like Netflix and stuff like that. I, I, I thought I saw something about promotion where they're offering to stream certain content without it. Oh, yeah. They've been doing that for a long time. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right. You're A lot of the music services, I think, I don't know if they're doing it with Apple Music yet. I should know this, but I don't. But I know Spotify and and a lot of other stuff they stream. Okay, oh, uh, I thought they were free. doing it with video. They are, yeah. With Netflix, uh, are they doing it with Netflix? They might. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a T-Mobile or a customer, obviously. Otherwise, I would know this stuff. But yeah, a lot of a lot of stuff you can stream wirelessly over your over your you know mobile data connection without it counting against your data caps. Now, didn't you not to go on too much of a tangent? But mm. I think it's topical. Is that I, I believe you were actually on a one of our other podcasts talking about, so, so I guess Comcast has been introducing the concept of a data cap. Yeah. Suggesting it. Well, they've been doing, they have. So officially right now, Comcast has a data cap of 250 gigs uh, per month. When you combine both the upstream and the down, downstream of your home data, Ooh, but it's been not a lot. No, it? it's not. <laughs> um, f- just for, for reference, I use about 900 gigs of data a month here. Uh, with backing up and, you know, streaming movies and all of that other crazy stuff. You, you as an individual or you and my household, the kids. Uh, okay. So, so we're talking four people here. Okay. Yep. So that, that's, yep. that's not too crazy then. No, but, um, and some months it's, you know, 1.1 terabytes and some it's like 800 gigs, but you know, it's, we're in that nine to 950 range is, is about our average. Yeah, um, bandwidth is a precious limited resource. Oh yeah. Or is it? Right. <laughs> so so Comcast has had their data caps on hold. I mean, they exist, but they don't enforce them and they don't and they make it clear. They've 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 been explicit about saying, you know, if I go into my Comcast interface and you for if you're a Comcast Comcast customer, you can do this too. Um, you know, you'll see that it says here's your 250 gig data cap and it's not being enforced right now. So uh, but they have been testing things around the country over the last couple of years, trying to figure out what they should do. And and very recently, they've been they've started doing one terabyte per month uh, data caps for customers in certain areas to see how that goes and see what you know what happens and which customers go over and how they go over and how people manage it and how many people complain and you know all of that good stuff. So it seems like just based on the chatter 
This is not, again, this is nothing new for them, but based on the chatter, it seems like this might be the one that they're trying to push nationwide. Then a one terabyte a month data cap for a, uh, for a home connection is, is fine. Like I said, I would go over it occasionally, but I'm not your, I'm not your average user, obviously, uh, you know, so with a little bit of thoughtfulness, I could easily stay under it. You know, right now, Pete, Pete, uh, pilot Pete and I back up to each other, you know, with our crash plan stuff, we'd probably stop that, you know, um, I don't know. So Mr. Braun, you still with me? Yeah. Oh, okay. Good. All right. No, I just chuckle when I, you know, I was being a wise guy. When I was saying, you know, it's a precious resource because there's uh, all of these caps, you know, even the upload download limits and stuff like that. The thing is, there's way more, based on what I know, there's way more bandwidth out there than these artificial limitations would suggest. Mm -hmm. And that it's not a problem. If if there's any problem, it's running out of IP addresses. It's not running out of bandwidth. There's plenty of bandwidth to go around for everybody. Yeah. But but these guys got to make money. Well, the issue is, is their infrastructure needs to support the bandwidth uh, uh, right to your home. It's not so much like Comcast to Netflix. I mean, yes, that, that, that obviously that, that's a concern and it needs to be managed, but it, th- I think a bigger deal for them is okay. You know, in your neighborhood, how much capacity are we going to load there? And right. y- you know, that, that's the, that's the, that's the issue. So, Anyway. No, I could see that. So if everybody's blasting their crash plan backups or everybody's watching movies 24-7, then yeah, then then you could have a problem because yeah, you yeah. You have to figure out, okay, I'm gonna give this segment or this neighborhood X bandwidth and That's right. If if everybody wants it at the same time, then they're all gonna get upset and then then they're gonna shake their fist at me though they will anyways because it's comcast that's what they do yeah well you know (laughs) i i I think i've said this on this show before Uh, i've had comcast it it will be 11 years in three days don't don't ask me why i know that it was may 12th that we got it set up Uh, i do but anyway um it's just because i remember the date because i had to be here because we were living in connecticut at the time right so i've had comcast for almost 11 years and I have had a wonderful experience with this company. Yes, I've had problems, uh, not too many of them, but anytime I've had a problem, their customer support has been outstanding. When I go into the store, they've been outstanding. When I chat with them online, outstanding. The phone reps, I'll be honest, I don't talk to the phone reps much. I do the online chat uh, whenever I have a problem or I need you know anything, really, billing stuff or whatever. And it's been outstanding and our our level of service has been great i I really just i really you know i i get that they're the cable company and they overcharge you if you're not paying attention and all of that stuff and i understand why people hate them but um but i've had i really had a good experience with it okay all i'll say is when i had to set up so my parents got the doxis 3 router yeah um uh, because xfinity slash comcast said they should have it it was hit or miss. I got one good rep. Were you on the I phone got, with them? Yes. Yeah. So I called because yeah. there was something wrong and I needed help. And so it was like eight at night. Okay. So th- there's someone there at eight at night. Now, whether you, whether you think that they should have someone there 24 seven is up to, up to you. <laughs> I think they should, if they're somebody providing a service that should work 24 seven, which I would assume it should, or at least have, you know, some staff available. But I got one per, uh, the first time I had a problem, the first person I spoke to was okay. 
The second was a nightmare and that he was like, well, we're going to have to send a technician out because it sounds like your connection's broken and you probably screwed it up, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, no, no. I'm like, okay, you can send a technician out if you do it for free. Sure. He's like, oh, we can't do that. And I'm like, well, then no. You, right. you said I could do self-setup and I'm going to hold you to that. And then the third well, person no, I your, got your was like level three awesome tech and he totally understood the problem. He remotely managed it and he, he fixed my problem. So I got somebody who... I don't know if they were having a bad day or they didn't understand the problem or whatever, but, but it was like their goal was to generate a service call and generate revenue. And I didn't like that. Yeah, no. It, and, and your experience is, is in line with what people have said that their phone support is the worst of the, of the bunch. In fact, when I, I bought a, a, a telephony cable modem to replace the one that I was renting from them because I am no longer renting from Comcast. Um, so because I realized uh, my telephony modem will work as a backup data modem. It, in fact, it is a data modem. It's just DOCSIS 2. So uh, so I figured if I'm going to have two modems in the house anyway, fine. And so I'll make my money back real fast with, with that. So I'm no longer renting. But um, when I bought this telephony modem, it came with a thing and it said, look, if you're with Comcast, don't call them about setting this up. Do it with the online thing because they... Uh, the online people are monitored more closely and so they're better reps. So, yeah. Okay. Sorry, I didn't want to go down this rabbit hole, but... That's all good. It was topical. And then, yeah. then we, we did go down the rabbit hole, but now we are getting out of the rabbit hole. And when we get out of the rabbit hole, what do we do? Well, Joey, we had one last thing that I had in our Cool Stuff Found category. Really, it's a question, but it's a quick question. So here we go. Joey asks, I'm seeking advice for a good SHN converter. SHN being the uh an audio format for lossless audio and shn is short for shorten being the name of the uh the compression algorithm there are a ton of junk audio converters and few of them support shn i have hundreds of gigabytes of old shn files that i need to convert to flac and or mp4 i'd love to hear your opinions on this topic you know i've always used a, a piece of software joey called xact x x a c t and it's from xact.scottcbrown.org Scott keep it Scott keeps it updated. Really Xact is a very simple to use uh GUI interface for the command line tools that you actually would need for the shorten and 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 FFmpeg and all of that stuff and it works perfectly well. Um anytime I've downloaded, you know, shorten files I can put it in there and and just deal with it. So that's my uh that's my that's my answer and also my, you know, the, the end of cool stuff found for today, I think so, but it's, it's good stuff. I like exact. I don't need it daily, but when I need it, it's always right there and it's free and it's, you know, it's great. Um, we have a bunch of questions to go through John, but, uh, but first I'm thinking that maybe it's time to, uh, to talk, to tell everybody a little bit more about the sponsors we mentioned at the beginning of the show. How's that work? No, I, I think you're correct. Sweet. Our first sponsor today is FreshBooks at freshbooks.com slash MGG, where you can get a totally free trial for 30 days. Just go there, enter Mac Geek Gab in the how did you hear about us section and start invoicing your clients on schedule. This is the hardest thing for any small business when you get going, especially as a solopreneur, right? You know, you, you, it's just you. You probably didn't start a business just so that you could invoice people 
you started a business to make money, but you probably had an idea about something you wanted to do that you enjoy. So you go out and do that. And I know we have a lot of listeners that are uh, computer consultants, for lack of a better term, right? I call us nerds, geeks. It's it's what we do. But uh, but you're out there nerding and you're helping people out and you're doing your thing and they love you. And then at the end of the month, you don't have enough money to pay your mortgage. Why is that? Well, you didn't invoice the people. And, and it's, it's the hardest thing because, you know, you've got this great relationship going with them. You've got a good rapport. Invoicing can be this weird thing. And plus, it's just probably not top of mind for you. But you need your money. So FreshBooks makes it super simple to create invoices and track these invoices for your customers. In fact, if you've got a customer who's not paying an invoice, which is a whole different story and a whole nother level of discomfort for solopreneurs typically, FreshBooks, you can even have it send out little reminders to people to nudge them sort of down the path of paying. And it sort of comes from FreshBooks in an automated way or in a way that it's not you, but it reminds them to pay you. And so it's kind of a nice way to do it because they probably love you too is the thing, right? But you don't have to make that awkward phone call or send that awkward email. FreshBooks pings them for you. So you're going to go to freshbooks.com slash MGG and enter MacGeekGab in the how did you hear about us section. That's how you're going to go get your 30-day free trial of FreshBooks. And you're going to start invoicing your customers and enjoying it. And then once you do it for a couple of months, you get some reports and all of that. We'll talk about that in a future episode. For now, get your invoices out. Thanks so much to FreshBooks for sponsoring this episode. Once you get your money... Maybe you're going to want more money. And that's what Gazelle is about, too. Two sponsors today to get you money in your pocket. Gazelle, our second sponsor, does that by sending you money for your old, no longer used iPhones, whatever it is, the stuff you've got laying around, the iPads, sometimes even your laptops. You've got this stuff because you keep upgrading because you're crazy like we are. And so, you, you know, as you upgrade, you, you collect a little pile. And sometimes it's nice to have one device in the pile, especially if you've got a family or whatever. It's not a bad idea to keep one back because you know one of them's going to break and there's your insurance policy, right? You can just pop the SIM in and at least you're good to go. But that pile is going to accumulate. Gazelle is going to take that pile off your hands and turn it into a pile of cash. Pile of iPhones, not too much you can do with that. Save one, turn the other iPhones in the pile into a pile of cash. Then you can do whatever you want with that. And if you want Amazon bucks, Gazelle will give you an extra 5% if you take Amazon bucks instead of cash. And if you're like me, you're spending money at Amazon all the time. So that probably pays off pretty darn well too. You got to check this out. Go to gazelle.com and it's easy. You just walk through the process, tell them what you got. They'll tell you what it's worth. If you like the number, boom, they send you a box. You put the thing in the box, it send it back to them. They open the box, they make sure it's in there. They send you your money, however you like it. Check, PayPal, uh, and as I said, of course, Amazon, and you get an extra five points on top of that. Our thanks to gazelle.com for sponsoring this episode. Mail. Mail, folks, is where we are going to go <laughs> next. No, no. Yeah, it's time. No, we have to because we all wrestle with mail and by mail we be mail app or email yeah yeah this is i think today is all about mail app on the mac uh we've got 
I believe, well, we had four questions and then uh, as you and I were prepping the show and talking about stuff today, a fifth one popped up. So we'll, we'll squeeze that in too. We'll start with something pretty straightforward. This is Jason. And Jason writes, I believe you both use Gmail with Apple Mail. I have seen various guides about this, and I know you've talked about it enough to know that it is not perfect given Google's unique IMAP implementation. I'm just curious what settings you are using to get the best mileage out of Apple Mail. And the funny thing is about answering this question, I built this PDF with, uh, or I, I, what, the way we build uh, our, our prep for the show is we answer your emails. And then before we send you the email, we save a PDF of the email so that we have a copy of it that we share in our Evernote. But mail also has a bug that sometimes when you go to either print or create a PDF, you'll see it in the preview if you remember to look mm -hmm. for it, which I didn't. And it like consolidates the whole thing into one page and chops off the end and leaves scroll bars like that aren't actual scroll bars in your PDF or on your printed form. And frankly, it, um, it sucks. So this is one of those emails, but thankfully, uh, Jason, um, Jason's email is still in my email box so I can see all my stuff and I know what it is. I said to him anyway. Uh, so in terms of Gmail, uh, these days, especially with El Capitan, you can't, um, you can't use anything other than Apple's sort of Google slash Gmail preset. Um, when you set this up, it doesn't let you change your incoming mail server, your username anymore. It used to be that you could set up Gmail as sort of a default IMAP thing. And you can try that, but most of the time it's smart enough and it says, ah, it's Gmail. Let me take care of some of that for you. So there's well, I'm going to ask you that because yeah. the thing is when you set up mail, you can either. So, so when you set up mail, I think either on iOS or Mac OS 10. Yeah. You can say, it's like, all right, who do you have your, and I think you actually start in internet accounts, but it's like, who do you have it with? And you can say Google, or you could try to manually do it with IMAP. Does, yeah. But it doesn't. Based on your experience, it, it doesn't make a difference which path you take. It's going to have the same result. It's going to figure out that it's a Google okay. account. Yep. And, and so that, that's, but that's fine. It, it, that, that part of it actually has been working well um, with uh, El Capitan here. So, which is good. Um, then th there's a couple of it. There are a couple of things that I have found with Gmail. Number one on the server, I still go in and turn off the IMAP access for the all mail folder. Uh, mail has been built to work better with this over time, but really what happens is you are exposing another IMAP folder that has duplicate copies of your, of your messages or of a lot of your messages. I find it better to have an archive folder, which Gmail will see as a label, but mail can create it. And so mail sees it as a folder and, and store your archive there as opposed to in all mail, which starts to get really confusing. So I do that on the server. That's the only change I make to the server is I go in and I, I, there's a checkbox when you go to labels, and your Gmail settings, you go to Gmail settings, labels, and there's a, a series of checkboxes. You uncheck the one next to all mail that says uh, show in IMAP. Then in mail, um, under account information, things are pretty much straightforward. Uh, there's nothing I changed there. In mailbox behaviors, I uncheck the box that says store draft messages on the server. Um, 
for whatever reason, they still haven't figured this out and you will wind up getting, you know, 16 partial drafts saved into your drafts folder before you finally send a message. And it's because it's auto saving these things, but it doesn't clear out all the auto saves. It just, you know, they just pile up in there. So it's, it's too much hassle. I save the drafts, you know, by unchecking that the drafts are saved to your Mac and, and they're far more predictable and they do what they're going to do. I choose never for all three of the delete X messages when options. So we're talking about delete sent messages when delete junk and, and permanently erase trash. I don't, uh, I don't have mail do any of that. Uh, I never really? want my sent messages deleted. No. Uh, and then junk and trash Gmail is going to delete after 30 days on the server anyway. So you're, you're better off just letting the server, if I know that there's going to be two things managing it, I don't want that. I want one thing managing it. And so for Gmail, I set all three of those to never. So, uh, but every other checkbox on that screen on the mailbox behavior screen is checked. And then uh, on the advanced screen, uh, I do let it use mail drop. Um, there's no IMAP path prefix that you need to use for Gmail authentication. will use an external TLS client certificate, uh, which is normal for Gmail. And the final one, the final checkbox there is use the idle command. If the server supports it, this is tr This is an option for all IMAP servers. And essentially what it does is it keeps a connection going so that the server can tell mail when a new message has come in and then mail can trigger a sync. It's not that the server triggers a sync. It's that the server tells mail new mail has come in and mail can trigger a sync. And that's what this idle connection is. And some people like that because it, it gets very close to being like a push uh, mail. So that as soon as mail hits your inbox on the server, it's automatically synced down. I don't, I'm too distracted by things anyway, so I prefer my mail only to check on a schedule. I actually have my mail set to check every hour. So I uncheck the idle command box, but that's not a Gmail issue. That's a Dave issue. So um, you're you're welcome to check that if you want. There's no no technical issues with that unless you're just overly distracted like me. So, so that's how I set up Gmail these days. And it's pretty straightforward and pretty, uh, it works pretty well. I'm I'm having less issues. I'm less tempted to move to fast mail than I was, say, six months ago, if that's any indication. So. All right. Any thoughts? Yep. Time to move on. Okay. No, I mean we, you know, we use it for MacEgab, and and so far we're good. Um, yeah. I think my settings, yeah, pretty much match yours. I think the only one uh, I do the, you know, trash after. We'll do that in a future episode because I do have settings that I do apply. So I guess the, the thing to keep in mind is that some of these mail settings, um, especially if you have multiple clients, you want to make sure that they're in sync. And, and the, this gets to be kind of a can of worms, especially if you're doing like iCloud and on your Mac and on your iOS device. Um your settings may conflict and that you may have a setting on one device that conflicts with another one. But I, I think we should um, think about this, Dave, and craft maybe a MacGab email guide because there are all these little nuances where, you know, if something is set up in one way in one machine and not another. You're going to see this behavior and you may think something's wrong. Well, no, it's not. It's just you don't have it set up quite right. And it's a pain in the neck. Mm. <laughs> 
and that it's up to the user at this point to make sure that all the things are set up in a consistent fashion. And if they're not, well, that's when you come to us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. All right, moving on to Dan with an issue that does affect uh, certainly Gmail, but I, I think uh, non-Gmail users are seeing it too. Dan says, uh, and he's talked to Apple three times about this, and they haven't been able to solve it, which is not surprising. He says, my problem is that for some reason, all of my IMAP accounts set up in Apple Mail periodically go offline for about 10 or 15 minutes and then recover normally. It's all the IMAP accounts, but not the SMTP accounts. And he uh, attached screenshots of what Apple Mail looks like when the problem occurs, uh, including a snapshot of the connection doctor, where it just shows connecting to server. Uh, and if you look at the mail uh, activity window, which is a handy thing to keep up. I, I, in fact, I can't live without having that up. So that's in window activity. Uh, that'll show you if things are happening in mail. And I, I actually have a spot carved out on all of my screens of the computers that I work with just so I can see that. Uh, and it'll just show that these things are, you know, it'll say downloading messages, but it's not actually doing anything or, or moving messages, but not actually doing anything. And, uh, this is a normal thing. Dan explains a lot of, uh, details about a system that unfortunately aren't relevant because there's nothing that's going to solve this for you. I think it's an issue with having multiple IMAP, um, accounts configured. And at times they all try to start doing the same thing. And one or one or more of them just get stuck in a loop. The solution is, as Dan found, either wait it out, or if you don't want to wait it out, just quit mail, relaunch mail, and everything will be fine. Um, there might be a cache cleaning that you know keeps this from happening for a little while, but it will come back. And it's just a mail bug. It's been this way for a while. Uh, I've seen it with IMAP accounts, mostly Gmail, but that's mostly what I use. Sounds like, in fact, looking at Dan's, he's having this problem with uh, Google and some others and a Yahoo one, in fact. So it's it's multiple IMAP accounts that it is what seems to be the real trigger for it. And, you know, it, it happens. I probably have to deal with it, if not once a day, you know, certainly three or four times a week. So it's just how it works. For me, anyway. I found that, too. Sometimes, yeah, it gets confused and stuck and... Like That's how I said, I hit, I hit the solution. But you hit the solution, turn, yeah. Turn it off and turn it on again. Yeah, you're good to go. <laughs> Sweet. You want to take us to Mark? I will take us to Mark because Mark has a certainly a non-intuitive one in my book. And I'm like, I'm just going to go to Mark. So Mark says, I have several email signatures that I use. I want them to go above. And he put that in all caps. So it's very important. The quoted text when I reply to an email, it does not. It places it at the end every time. I try checking on checking the place signatures above quoted text box and restarting mail. No help. Then he sent a couple of screenshots. And where you're going to see this in mail. So if you are running, if you're using Apple's mail app, which we all love, it's going to be in, let's see. You want to go to preferences, and then you're going to see signatures. And then in that box, you will see a box which is pretty much should be global called place signature above quoted text. And that's actually how I have it set. And I think most of us do because that's how we like our, our email to look. Unfortunately, in his case, it didn't work. Now, I had to 
break out my Google Foo because I could not reproduce the problem, Dave. And if I don't know if you've fiddled with this, but I don't know if you could either. But then I found an article that talked about this and it had a suggestion that is totally non-intuitive and this is non-intuitive and this is why you listen to us. <laughs> Here's the solution. <laughs> and it was actually an Apple discussion thread. I think I found some hints of the solution and then I uh, sent it off to him. You want to go to mail, preferences, composing. Wait, what? Yes, Follow me on this. Mail, preferences, composing, responding. And then in that box, you're going to see a box that says use the same message format as the original message. And as it turns out, that solved it. Wait, turning that on or turning that off solved it? I'm not entirely sure. Okay, because on mine it's off. He, he changed the state of it and he got back to us and said, your first suggestion fixed it. Okay. I was not able to reproduce the problem, uh, but I found the, I found a suggested solution and it worked. So, so another thing that might yay, impact this but, is, is message format on that same screen at the top. You can choose uh, plain text or rich text. And a lot of times with rich text, you wind up getting the signature below the um, okay the the thing too. So I, you know, plain text works. Um, I, I prefer sending email in plain text because if I Likewise. start, yeah, if I start yeah. imposing my font preferences or sizes on you, that's what makes you wind up with these emails that are either you know way too big or way too small. It's like, listen, I don't care what kind of device you're on when you sent this. That's great. Uh, whatever looks good to you on that device, that's also great. Let me pick what looks good to me on my device. And and mail actually is intelligent about some level of that. It'll it'll filter out the rich text stuff if it's really just a text message sometimes, but it's safer to, I don't know. I, de I default to plain text. So anyway, there you go. I'm with you. And then I'm going to throw a tip in, Dave. Good. Because you and I just talked about this. And, and this is something that actually has been bugging me ever since I've been on El Capitan. And I thought it was just that Apple had broken mail, which, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing was, so I used to have you, because you're very important to me, Dave, I used to have you identified as a VIP in mail app. Mm. And That's in the handy. past... What would happen? Yeah, because you know, I, I, you know, uh, either something that was related to Mac Observer or Mac Gab or just us being friends, longtime friends, it was important, and I like it highlighted. So I would identify. And for those that don't know, you can identify individuals. Um, I think for the most part, you could do it through your contacts database. Uh, that's um, probably the best place to do it. Um, can you well, mark people as VIPs in contacts? I thought you had to do it in mail. Oh, maybe you can. I, I thought you could do it in contacts as well. Oh, so, I um, think it's mail only. All right. So yeah. the thing is, if they're... And the way you do it... Then to, they're in mail and they link to... Uh, 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 there's there's an overlap though because... Oh, definitely. People, it, yeah, you can have them in your contacts because it's... Um, it, it, and maybe it's just the email address that you can do. But um, if you have it, the way you do it in mail is on a message from that person, 
you hit the little Chevron, the little drop down arrow to the right of their name uh, in the from field and just choose add to VIPs. That's, that's how you do it. Or if somebody is in VIPs and you want to remove them, um, simply remove. But I don't, I don't know of a way to do it in contacts, but it does sync to your iOS devices. So you get the same benefit of seeing your VIP mailbox on iOS if you, right. if you do it that way. Yeah. So here's my fish shake, is that ever since I upgraded El Capitan, I wouldn't see messages from Dave in the VIP category in Mail App. Then all of a sudden today I did, because I sent a message to Dave from... or. or I replied the to reason I, The reason I think I saw it today is that it appeared explicitly in my inbox. In the past, any message from Dave in any box would appear in the VIP category. Huh. So I'm like... It's not the default. The default has always been inboxes only. And if you've correct. got multiple inboxes, it'll consolidate them all and, and filter t- and your VIPs are there. Yeah. Correct. So here's the tip, though. So you may ask yourself... How do I work this? But you may also ask yourself, how do I make it so I could see a message from somebody identified as a VIP? How can I see the messages that are in mailboxes other than the inbox? And this is definitely not intuitive to me. And I'm almost certain that this got reset when I upgraded to El Capitan. And that is, so in MailApp, you go to the VIP list in the mailboxes. You then go to the individual that you have starred or individuals and this is totally non-intuitive, dude. And then once you have that person highlighted, you go to the view menu. Okay, that, that's kind of intuitive. Then you go to sort by. And then in that menu, at the very bottom is a choice, inbox only or all mailboxes. All right, what? guys. Okay, no, guys. I don't see that. I'm in mail on El Capitan. So I'm in my VIPs. Okay. Right. right? Are you are you clicked on a person in VIP? I'm I'm clicked on a person's message, so maybe I'm in the wrong spot. No. Okay. What, what you want to do is click on someone in the VIP list. Oh, by twisting it open. Oh, correct. Got it. Okay. Right. You see my you see my fish shake here, and why this is totally non intuitive, and why I thought it was what? broken in El Capitan. All right. Now wait a minute. If I set say twist open vip my friend aaron because he's at the top of my list and i say sort by all mailboxes but then i go to uh okay so that is a global setting it's not it, i mean you're right you have to select one person but like i move from aaron to brian because brian is the next one on my list and brian right. it is now set for brian uh in the sort by it's all mailboxes as well and if i go back to inbox only then it's inbox only for everyone. So it's not a, um, it's not a, it's not a per person setting. It is a application wide setting. Bizarre. What has me shaking my fist is that it's in a place that I would have not. and, And I had to do quite a bit of Google foo and research to find this, but it made me sad because when I upgraded Al Capitan, all of a sudden it broke this because messages from you for whatever reason i wanted in the vip list and all of a sudden they broke this or so i thought and actually they probably did they probably twisted they probably reset it to inbox only sure which when you and i were emailing today you were like well dude i mean duh i'm in your inbox because it's an inbox and i'm like well yeah i get that but (laughs) it didn't used to be that way and the thing is so again if you have somebody in your vip list in mail app 
and you go to view, sort by, there will be an inbox only, which should be the default, or in all mailboxes. If you want to see messages from somebody you consider a VIP in any mailbox, that's where you go. Cool. Very nice find, man. Yeah, that's that's not at all. I mean, I didn't even know. Obviously, I can see the triangle next to VIPs. I had no idea what would happen when I twisted it open just now. So I obviously had never done that before. So Uh, one last one on mail from listener Bob, who says about a year ago, I purchased a MacBook Pro for use while traveling. I set up the mail app on it to be the same as my iMac and added mailboxes to save messages from the inbox. After a year of this, I've come to realize that I have two separate sets of saved emails and cannot access the saved emails on one machine from the other. It would be really nice to have a single set of saved email boxes that both instances of the mail app can access. And he goes on to talk about some some ideas. But uh, really, Bob and everyone, the popular solution and the best solution for this is to use an IMAP mail provider. So the way IMAP works is all your mail is always stored on the server. So, and you may have this, you may just have set up on my Mac folders and instead you should set up an archive folder or a series of archive folders. You can set up usually as many as you want on the server. And then any of your devices that sync to the server, your Mac, your iPhone, your iPad, it doesn't matter. will all see this same folder and can see what other things, other devices have put in it. And obviously they can uh, put things in it too. And that's a much Better. It is the best way to do this uh, in kind of in today's world. And if your provider doesn't support IMAP and a lot of ISPs uh, haven't, uh, many of them have come around. We've talked about that. John's Optima Online now officially does and Comcast supports it. And I mean, there's more and more. But if your ISP doesn't, Yahoo does support IMAP. Google does. Uh, Apple's iCloud does. Right. There's there's lots of options out there for you if uh, and and arguably all of those are better than using your ISP's email address anyway, because if and when you move and or change ISPs, well, you don't want to have to change email addresses, too. So it's better to just use one that's sort of ISP agnostic and or unrelated, I should say. So so that's it. IMAP is the way to go for that. Uh, Bob and and that should that should solve it for you. And again, if you if you have the IMAP account, when you go in mail to create a new mailbox, you go to file. Uh, maybe it's not in file anymore. No, it's not. Of course, it's not. It's in mailbox, new mailbox. You'll get a little option, and the location comes up, and it'll say on my Mac, or it'll let you pick from a drop down menu any of the accounts that you excuse me that you already have, and that's what you want to do is pick one of the accounts and then it'll just put it up on the server and you're good to go. Uh, we've got a little more time here, John listener. Joe actually asked a question I had never thought about before. And, um, and he, and he, and I now have a new, a new feeling for this. Joe says, I'm looking to get a used Mac for work. He says, it'll be rattling. It'll be rattling around in my van. So I didn't want to shell out for a brand new machine. He says, and eBay seems to be a good source price-wise, assuming it's fine when it arrives and all that. Is there anything I should do to protect my current devices? Would setting up a guest Wi-Fi network and shooting off a new install of OS X on it be a good idea, or am I just being paranoid? Well, Joe, as I like to say, you're only paranoid if it turns out no one was trying to get you. Um, I, th- I think being paranoid in this is a great idea. 
I would keep the machine air gapped. I would not even bother setting up a guest wireless network. Um, before the machine arrives, I would make a USB stick with a, um, with an, a fresh OS 10 install on it. And as soon as you take the machine out of the box, uh, that's a great way to test it too. put a fresh install of OS 10 on it all by yourself, you know, format the drive, do the full OS 10 thing. It'll build the recovery partition. It'll do all of it. And then in addition to, you know, any assuaging, any paranoia that you might've had about, you know, someone trying to do something nefarious, it also gets that machine set up in a way that, you know, is set up the way you, you know, it's set up. And that's very handy for troubleshooting down the road too. So, yeah, I think it's a great question. Something I'd never thought of before, but, um, that's great, man. Now that's how I do it. How about you, John? That's a great question. Because typically what I do when I sell my used Macs, I will actually reformat it with the discs and the OS that it came with so that when the person receives it, they're confident because most Macs, when you get them and you start them up the first time, they say, hey, I'm starting up for the first time. Hello, I'm me. Um, So I do that to put the person at ease. Yeah. Um, However, if I was buying a used Mac, now one, you could be, ultra paranoid and again as they pointed out there may be reasons you want to be paranoid or not um i probably would yank whatever hard drive is in there or and or put that machine in target disk mode if you can do it and totally wipe the internal drive to eliminate the possibility of any spyware or malware or whatever evilness the seller may have put on there to in order to snare you that's pretty good yeah okay yep um, and targetist mode will link to it, but, but that's something where you can basically make any Mac or most any Mac appear to be an external hard drive, at which point, like I said, you can format that hard drive and then do with it what you will, including installing the latest OS. Yep. So yeah, that's a good idea. I like that, but, it, but yeah, it's yeah. a, it's a good concern. Um, I, I, I never really thought about that as well. Actually, now that I think about it, yes, if I wanted to, uh, world domination i would i would sell Macs with with spyware or malware yeah to unsuspecting people and then would rule the world but yes you know yes that, that takes a lot of time and work and and i'm not up for that at this point that's right you got you, ain't nobody got time for that and ain't none of us got time for that so john you want to take us to paul and talk about steps to take before selling your ios device while we're in this sort of uh in this realm you know, it's very interesting, Dave, because, yeah, so so the question was from Paul. I'm going to look here. So um, Paul had a question. Well, first, Paul said we're awesome, but Paul, no, you're awesome. <laughs> but he said, with all this talk about iPhone security and the FBI breaking devices and jailbreaking and on the way, if I select erase all content and settings, is my user data wiped? If someone jailbreaks or if the FBI can access the device, is the information gone? If I sell the device on Gazelle, is my information accessible? And the answer to those questions is maybe, right? All right. <laughs> well, I would, I would say at the very least, so choosing erase all content and settings, probably uh, that's good for most people. But But the thing is, you have to keep in mind that iOS and Mac devices also have links to other systems here. And Apple recognizes mm. this. So what you got to do, and the thing is Apple's thought about this because lots of people sell their 
devices for whatever reason, or you may inherit a device for whatever reason. So the thing is, they do have an article, and I'll, I'll, I'll keep this kind of high level. You can read the article if you want to, but Apple has an article titled, What to Do Before Selling or Giving Away Your iPhone, iPad, or iPod Touch uh, for that segment of the population. And while they do suggest that erase all content and settings is one thing, I'll just toss out a couple of additional things that you probably want to do. So one thing they mention, actually in this article, is unpair your Apple Watch. And I would suggest that you probably want to unpair any device that your iOS device is, uh, or your Mac is paired with. Because there's the potential for evildoers to repair and then, you know, destroy everything. Um, the only other thing I'll mention is that Dave, you and I actually ran into this is that you want to be very sure. And they, they mentioned this in the step series. You want to disassociate your device from find my iPhone or iCloud in general. And if you don't weird things happen, I'll tell you the one weird thing. And I think that kind of wraps it up here. You can check the article, but the thing is all of a sudden I noticed this because I sold you one of my old, uh, uh, Macs day for mm. Lucas, I think to use for parts and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, I noticed, because I did not follow these steps, shame on me, all of a sudden, <laughs> I saw a machine on my list called Lucas's MacBook Pro. And I'm like, why is this on my Find My Eye, find my eye device list? <laughs> <laughs> and it's because I don't think I disassociated it before I sold it or sent it to Dave. Right. And we and wound up using the motherboard point. from that machine was the trick. Yeah. So eventually, so the thing is that there is a tie-in between find my iPhone or find my whatever, because it's not just iPhone. Um, there's a tie-in, I guess, to the hardware, some address in the machine itself. Sure. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Apple has guidelines. We will link to that. Um, but the quick answer is uh, doing that is probably good enough, but follow the steps Apple gives. Disassociate where you can and, and you should be good. Cool. Um, you know, Nick has something that he brought up. He said he was listening to episode 602 where we were talking about USB-C and one cable to rule them all. And he said, I had some thoughts about the convenience of being able to have connectivity to your external devices slash network and power all in one connector. He says, I run a mid 2013, 13 inch MacBook air at work daily and when I'm at my desk, I'm plugged in to a Thunderbolt dock for gigabit Ethernet and an external monitor. But I don't plug in my power adapter until Fruit Juice tells me I've been on battery long enough because I want to maintain my battery by not running it plugged in all the time. Having my external connectivity and power all in one connector would prevent me from trying to smartly manage my battery health and lifespan with one connector while it would be convenient for people like me that spend the majority of my time connected, it would actually be a bad thing. If you weren't a person who was connected to a dock the majority of the time, this wouldn't be a concern. Nick, that's a really smart thought. And I don't know that there's a good answer for this, but I kind of wanted to throw it out there um, because you're totally right. You know, you want to be plugged into all of the stuff you want to be plugged into at your desk, except power. Um, so that's... Uh, that's a head scratcher right there. I don't, I don't know how to reconcile that. John, do you, have you had any thoughts about this? I know you're, I mean, neither one of us has a machine that does it, but we will at some point, if Apple stays on this USB-C thing, that's kind of a, I don't know, man. What do you think? I, I have no thoughts. 
Well, I have no thoughts about this specific topic because I, I don't have the USB-C. Well, I know you don't, but think of it, but you will, is what I'm saying. And, and I mean, it, it, you're an intelligent no, guy. You can project here that, you know, this... This is going to create problems for people with their batteries. We're going to go right back to what we used to have where people didn't think about it and wound up killing off their battery uh, with, you know, prematurely. And and for those of you that aren't aware, it's been a while since we've had this discussion. The best thing for your battery is to keep the electrons flowing. That That's the right mindset. That's the, actually I steal that that phrase from. Uh, Adam Christensen over at the MacCast, but, but he's right. We, we did a ton of testing here. What about five or six years ago that led to the development of the app called fruit juice. Like the, that the whole concept of it came from discussions that we had on this show because, um, the idea is you don't want to leave your Mac plugged in all the time. Your battery powered Mac, your iMac, obviously you have to, but if you leave it plugged in, the electrons are not flowing in or out of the battery. And that's the concept to think of. And that's not entirely true. And it's it's an incorrect uh, description, but but it's the right concept. You either want your battery to be powering your Mac or you want power to be charging your battery. But you really don't want it to remain at 100% in stasis with power plugged in for any great length of time. It's okay here and there, obviously. But uh, fruit juice okay. fruit juice helps you do that. So. What do you right, do with fruit juice? Go ahead. The thing is, you're right. And the thing is, I would say that the, the correct solution, well, the correct solution would be not to use a battery technology that is prone to these nuances. The only thing I could say, Dave, is that the one thing that I have and... Um, that battery technology doesn't exist, by the way, that we have found, so... Well, the battery technology does not, but the charger technology does. Sure, yeah, now, if you were remember, willing to let your battery go down to ten per, to ninety percent or eighty five percent before it charged back up, that might be enough for this. That's right. But I'll say I still use Dave because I believe it's a good thing. So you you and I have received this Power Slayer device, which is an iOS device, and what it does is it basically charges your iOS device until it gets to a point where it believes it's almost at the maximum, and then it stops. Yeah, it shuts itself off, and I think that's correct behavior now that there were some weird things that happened beyond that and you, you uh, no but you're right it's, I, I got it's the, the right concept no i got it, the sense you weren't crazy about it because it did the, the thing is it, it at least the version that we got would re-engage and then you would be woken up at three in the morning because your device would buzz and you'd be like well sure. what's going on what's here? going on yeah exactly and yeah, that was yeah. one fault i think in their early hardware but i don't think it is currently no, but it's so the right the concept is, yeah yeah is don't go through the full charge cycle all the way to maximum and stick there forever is so, so it could suggest that we either need better battery technology and that's coming I'm sure, or can we get better charger technology? And I think that's at this point where things, or you just get somebody kind of like the device that reboots your router is, can we get somebody to sit there and just kind of unplug it when, <laughs> and that silliness I realize, but Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty um it's a it's a great thought and I'm glad you thought of it Nick because um at least reminding people that you know they've got to manage it. The problem is you know the power slayer concept doesn't work with um at least with what we have now because you might your power brick might be coming from your external hard drive. Right? I mean it's it's you know these devices power themselves and oh by the way also pass power upstream to your 
MacBook along with the data connection that's going in both directions. So. Of course, the other thing that occurs to me, and this is why I got the machine that I have, Dave, at least the MacBook Pro, is that it has a battery that I can easily, as a user, replace. Now, unfortunately, that time has passed, I would say, for the most part, at least for MacBooks or, or portable Macs and pretty much iOS devices, unless you're really good at replacing batteries. And you can do it. I fix it, right? Yeah, you can. Yeah, but it, but it sucks to have to do that. You, you know what I mean? It, it's better to just preserve it. I mean, my MacBook, I, Brian Chaffin and I both bought uh, 2011 MacBooks in 2011. And he was saying the other day, he's like, you know, my MacBook would actually be fine if uh, the battery was okay. And I'm like, man, you know, what do you mean? Like my battery on my MacBook is still, I think at 92% of capacity or something. He's like, oh yeah, mine's at, at like, you know, 75 and I'm like, oh, but how many charge cycles do you have? What? Yeah. And he has like half the charge cycles of me. And I'm like, oh, dude, you left it plugged in. He's like, yeah, I know. He says, it's totally my fault. I'm like, dude, in 2011, fruit juice existed. There's no excuses anymore. Yeah. yeah. Well, as we should say yeah. from Life of Brian, he's been a very bad, he's been a very naughty boy. Yeah. He got caught. Because, man, I'm looking at my fruit juice on my MacBook Pro, Dave, and I have 93% of original capacity after 1,041 of 1,000 charge cycles. You know, the typically... Does the, that kick ass? Dude, I kick ass. I got to say. The more well, because, charge cycles people have, the better off their battery is. But I listen to fruit juice. Yeah. Thank you so much for fruit juice because it, it, it taught me good habits. And, dude, these numbers are awesome. Dude, 93%? Yeah. I remember back in the in the bad old days when we didn't understand batteries. I was dead after like a couple of hundred charge cycles. My battery was at like pathetic levels. Yeah. Yeah. No, fruit juice is awesome. Um, they gave me a free copy, which almost makes me sad because I want to pay for it. Seriously. It, I mean, I it, think I may have at one point, but he, he yeah. yeah, he hooked us up. We, we yeah. know the writes it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, um, yeah, it's, it's worth checking out, so... But it, but again, it doesn't solve the problem for uh, for the folks on the uh, on the USB C with things that you need connected to it. Feedback at macgeekab.com is uh, the address that you can email. Send in your stuff. You know what? My I don't know if there's a bad connection here. No, there isn't. But I'm just going to say it anyways. Is that my friend said feedback. At MacGeekGab.com. No, I said feedback uh, ah, right. at Uh You can also email premium at MacGeekGab.com if you are a premium MacGeekGab subscriber. And if you want to learn more about that, we'd love uh, to tell you about it. MacGeekGab.com is the place to, uh, to start learning about that. iTunes comments, folks. We love iTunes comments. We got... Uh, we got a new one from Schmup recently. It says, I enjoy listening to this for the few tidbits that make sense to me, and it is actually a nice way to relax and get away for a while. The more education I get about my Mac, the better. Thank you, Schmup. And really, folks, we love your iTunes reviews. You can just go and leave a comment there. Um, we can't reply to them there, but that's okay. We'll, we'll reply to them here, and it makes it kind of fun, and you get yourself mentioned in the show, too. So... Thank you for that, Schmup. Thanks for everybody who has ever posted an iTunes comment or review. Thanks to the folks at Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. 
for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Thanks to all of our great sponsors and our Backbeat Media podcast marketplace, including FreshBooks at freshbooks.com slash MGG, where you get a free month. Make sure you tell them that Mac Geek Gab sent you. Of course, Gazelle at gazelle.com, where you can sell off all your old iOS and uh, Mac laptops, turn them into some money. Smile at smilesoftware.com slash geek. Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG, where coupon code MGG saves you 10%. MaxSales.com, the great people at Otherworld Computing. Barebones Software at barebones.com. And Casper, casper.com slash MGG. You can save 50 bucks and get a great night's sleep at the same time. We already talked about it. Make sure whatever it is you do, enjoy your week, but don't get caught. Made up.